and today I'm joined by Camilla Scanlon. Hi, Camilla. Hi, Kate. Nice to be here. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. We're here today to talk about Camilla's recent paper, which appears in an educational chapter by Sage Research Methods Cases, and this is called Preparing for the Unanticipated Challenges in Conducting Semi-Structured In-Depth Interviews. And Camilla, honestly, it was a fascinating read. Thank you. You're welcome. So I, um, I think I wanted to ask you first mm-hmm. if you could tell us a little bit about the project that you were doing out of which came mm-hmm. this paper and the cases that you discuss in the paper. And then we'll talk about the paper itself, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, so this project was um, the project that I undertook for my PhD uh, several years ago. And it was looking at the legal and ethical limits of consent in high-risk medical interventions. Mm. So why this was of interest was because we've had this understanding of what consent is. And this works very well in a lot of cases, but it starts to be, uh, it starts to unravel when we're talking about some high-risk medical interventions. Mm -hmm. So the whole concept of consent has been questioned in recent years by scholars in law and ethics and medicine. Mm -hmm. So my project was attempting to try and address some of these concerns Mm -hmm. about what is consent and how robust is it really in um, some medical interventions. Mm. So I would say that Consent is quite acceptable, the the current construct of consent is quite acceptable and adequate when we're thinking about procedures, for example, like resetting a broken bone or um, even perhaps going under some surgical intervention like uh, appendectomy, something like that. But when we are starting to look at high-risk medical interventions, Mm -hmm. then that's when the the elements of consent really start to uh, be questionable, I think. Mm -hmm. And what, I don't know if it's appropriate to go into any detail about Mm -hmm. what these situations were, but what would um, some of the details of a high-risk situation like this look Mm -hmm. like? Well, in the case of the uh, study that I was conducting, Mm. uh, high risk involved um, both the disease that the patient had and the intervention that was being proffered. So without this intervention, these patients were going to die. Mm. Um, However, this intervention that was being offered to them potentially could kill them also. So I, li- I likened this in a paper I wrote once about uh, a game show where you've got door A and door B and you can pass through either one and you have to make that decision, which one do you want? Mm-hmm. But uh, even one in, in, in this instance, even once you've chosen one particular pathway, it doesn't mean that you're going to have success at the end. So it doesn't mean you're going to survive. Mm-hmm. There's still uh, the potential uh, to succumb to the treatment. So it's it's a very difficult decision for people to make, I believe. Mm -hmm. This paper focuses on three kind of scenarios that Mm -hmm. you encountered while you were doing that kind of research. Mm -hmm. And what led you to write this particular paper? 
I was contacted by Sage Publications and they were asking for medical researchers to contribute to uh, a guideline or a, a manual that they were creating on research methods. And they were wanting medical researchers who had designed and uh, conducted research to talk about some of the, the methods mm -hmm. that they were using. And I thought it might be interesting if I did that but added uh, more value by talking about when things go wrong mm. or when things don't go as expected. And I thought that was probably a valuable insight for people who were considering undertaking uh, qualitative research and maybe also uh, a valuable tool for people who teach research mm -hmm. methods, qualitative research methods. So in, the, in this chapter, mm -hmm. you describe three different cases where mm -hmm. um, something unanticipated mm. happened. Mm. And how did you choose the three cases? Were there more cases or were there these the three that really stuck out in your mind? Or These were the ones that I thought had the greatest learning potential. Okay. Um, there were others that, of course... Um, and this is probably an interesting thing for uh, both nov novice researchers and educators of uh, research methods should grasp that things don't always go to plan. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're on your feet, so to speak, uh, in a, an interview situation, it's really hard to think, oh, you know, what should I give preference to? Should it, could it be to the research or to my uh, compassion for, for the... Uh, people involved so it, it and you only get one bite of the cherry mm -hmm. and that was probably one thing that also needs to come out um, when considering this chapter is that um, I wasn't going to have another opportunity to interview these people right. and that's because of um, their disease and the treatment that they were receiving that and also the fact that um, they needed to have other tests and scans and all sorts of things done. So I couldn't reschedule the interviews. So in that way, the interviews were time sensitive. Mm -hmm. So I had to do whatever I could do mm -hmm. um, at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said about being on your feet in the moment, I think that really comes out in the paper. The fact that you were either halfway through an interview and something happened or you appeared to do the interview and something was not mm. as you'd expected. What are the main kind of key ideas or key um, pieces of learning that you hope that people mm -hmm. will gain from reading this mm -hmm. chapter? Firstly, I think the design of the study is really important. Mm. So right back at TORS, uh, you need to think about what kind, in this instance, what kind of interview uh, is appropriate for the sort of material that you want to gather, the data you want to gather. Uh, and that is something you need to sit down and talk with your research team about. Mm. And then I think you have to try to imagine the unimaginable. Mm -hmm. What sort of things can go wrong? Um, given your particular cohort of informers. So it's quite clear in some instances where you need to report certain things mm -hmm. um, and, and we're all clear about that or we should be clear about that but, and that's certainly something that you should discuss with the research team to start with. 
But then trying to be a bit creative and think about, well, what else can go wrong? And try to put in place um, mechanisms for um, managing those things. You're asking the impossible, of course, of yourself <laughs> and of your research team. Um, but at least you can open your mind to some of the things that might go wrong or that are unanticipated and how you need to deal with that. So it's very, in summary, I think that's very um, a very intense, long uh, discussion with the research team in the very initial stages that needs to be had. Mm-hmm. You asked earlier why I chose these three scenarios and I think each of them has a different uh, learning potential mm-hmm. and one of the learnings um, I hope that comes out of the chapter is that of moral distress mm-hmm. and I think um, we should understand and accept that moral distress can happen when you are interviewing, particularly when you're interviewing uh, patients who are critically ill It's part of being human that the interviewer should become um, unsettled. You shouldn't try and cover that up. It shouldn't be part of the job. It should be something that is recognised and dealt with. Um, It signals to you, if you're becoming distressed, it signals to you that this is something that is really important. Mm -hmm. So maybe you need to investigate that further. it, sh- it needs to be dealt with within the um, context of what is being, what data is being, or what information is being provided to you by the participant. And it also needs to be dealt with for the healthcare professional or the interviewer, the researcher, mm-hmm. um, so that they don't develop uh, a long term injury mm-hmm. due to this. But um, it's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. it's only bad if it's not dealt with mm-hmm. I believe yeah it was an interesting context in which to think about moral distress because I haven't come across it in this context before I've mm. come across it in terms of nursing ethics yes yes and yes. social work and things yes, like that yes but I think I can see the link that I would make and in mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what you think about this Camilla is um, that in some of those places where you encounter moral distress mm-hmm. in the literature there's an element of a lack of control mm-hmm. over what's happening in the scenario Mm, and mm. I wonder if that's a part of what's happening here because you're in a delicate relationship with Mm. the person Mm. that you're interviewing and you kind of what you talk about in the paper in the chapter a little bit is balancing the aims of research Mm. the goals Mm. of research Mm. with the um need to encounter this person Mm. in front of you as a Mm. moral person Mm. And yeah. deal with the in, like the one-on-one dynamic yeah. that's happening there. That to me was the greatest challenge. Yeah, being able to j- juggle those things. So I'm I'm glad you picked that up. Um, yeah, that's very difficult. Uh, which hat are you wearing at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you take one hat off and put the other one on? It, it's very difficult. Um, and I think sometimes there is a, a perception that interviewing is quite an easy thing to do and so hopefully this chapter highlights that it's not necessarily an easy thing to do it's an intense thing to do it's um, absolutely gratifying I really enjoy uh, interviewing uh, especially 
in a critically ill situation. So it is challenging. I think what one has to try and develop very soon in an interview is trust. Mm -hmm. And then to break that trust would would be just devastating mm -hmm. for the participant, for the quality of the data that you're you're gaining, and for the project itself. Uh, it would just be devastating for everyone, I think. So that's one of the reasons why it becomes so difficult, mm -hmm. I think, uh, and probably so challenging and so rewarding mm -hmm. all at the same time. Mm -hmm. I have a final question for you. Mm. Having written the chapter and you've reflected on these encounters quite a mm. bit, mm. when you think back, is there anything that you would have done differently? Or do you think that given the balance and the pressures in the moment that um, that you did the best you could, that you would do it the same way again? Look, that's a great question. And um, in this chapter, after each scenario, I have done a reflection mm -hmm. and uh, talked about those sorts of issues. Um, I'm fairly pleased to say that I don't think I would have done things differently. Um, it would be difficult to get to the end of an interview and think, oh, God, that was terrible. I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there's always a little bit of that mm -hmm. uh, after you're thinking about an interview. But the fact that um, at the end of the chapter, I talk about how one might be able to prepare for the unanticipated. And I talk about a bit about um, what I, I used to catch a train home from the interviews because the interviews were all con in this project, the interviews were conducted with patients in a hospital and I would catch the train home and I would spend that train journey thinking about um, exactly what had happened from the minute I walked into the room to the minute that I left and tried to relive that and think about, mm, could I have done something different here? And that was before listening to the interview. Mm -hmm. And then I would think about it a second time and then I would listen to the interview. And so I think one of the advantages of qualitative uh, research and, and in-depth uh, interviews is that the methodology allows you to tweak things as you go along. Mm -hmm. So I could modify and tweak things for the next interview that I did with the next patient mm -hmm. and so on. And not only did I do that sort of reflection, for the interviews that I conducted, uh, discussed in this chapter, but uh, I have done that for the interviews that I've conducted since then with, with other cohorts of, of patients and people. Well, thank you so much for talking with me about this, Camilla. It's a great paper. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And I think it will be really interesting um, and useful to people. It was certainly very interesting to me, and having no knowledge of this. It mm -hmm, was a great explainer. Mm -hmm. So I'll link this paper in this episode's notes. And thank you so much to everyone who's listening. You can catch She Research Podcasts on Anchor, on Spotify, on iTunes, and wherever else you get your podcasts of quality. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.